Welcome to the Jockey Club, a podcast looking at the movie Let It Ride, one scene at a time. My name is Dan Delgado, and we're at historic Hialeah Park where one man is having the best day of his life. I'm having a good day. So come on in and hang out while we talk about this day and the greatest movie of all time, Let It Ride. Don't worry about that guy at the door. I've got you covered. You can even take my seat to the Jockey Club. Welcome back to the Jockey Club. My name is Dan Delgado. We are up to episode 21, which means that we are doing the 21st scene of Let It Ride. And really, it's the 21st scene according to me. This is the scene where Pam enters the Jockey Club and starts demanding to get the money that Trotter has won. Now, if you're playing along at home, this is going to be from minute 51.29 to 53.12. Joining me at my usual table is Noah Gattel, who, like me, is a long-suffering Mets fan, and unlike me, is a very successful writer whose work has appeared in The Atlantic, The Guardian, Slate, The Economist, The Washington City Paper, Wired, GQ, and Esquire. That's a lot. Noah's relationship with Let It Ride goes all the way back to 1989, and he even almost had a sort of real relationship with Richard Dreyfus. What? So now, let's head on up to the Jockey Club, where we'll be discussing the Richard Dreyfus-Terry Gar cinematic relationship, a new idea for what to do with Hialeah Park, and the 21st scene of Let It Ride. All right, so before I ask you my my typical first question, I understand you have sort of some sort of Richard Dreyfus connection that you can tell me about. Yeah, it's a little bit funny. So I grew up raised by a single mom, a great single mom, and she had a crush on Richard Dreyfus. She had a, my dad was Jewish, her ex-husband, she liked Jewish guys and she always had a crush on Richard Dreyfus. And when he was in New York doing a play called Death and the Maiden in 1992, oh, yeah. she, she wrote him a letter and said, I'm bringing my kids to see Death and the Maiden. Uh, I would love to meet you. She sent a picture of herself, sent a picture of us. And one night she picked up the phone and the voice said, hi, this is Richard Dreyfus." Get out of here. It really happened. And... <laughs> He called her. He liked what he saw in the picture. He liked what she wrote. She mentioned they had some sort of really loose connection. Like her brother, who was an actor, had had acted in the same theater troupe as him or something. Not at the same time, but but in the same troupe. So she used that in the letter. And anyway, we went down to the play and she had plans to meet him beforehand backstage. And he was going to give her a tour of the theater and everything. And I went to the coffee shop and hung out with my aunt, who was also an actress. And she went backstage And there was some sort of mix-up about where they were supposed to meet, what time they were supposed to meet. And instead of having like a nice hour to talk, they only ended up having about 10 minutes. Oh, oh, that's terrible. He he brought her on stage. They chatted for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. According to her, he said, I would love to take you out for a drink after, but I'm getting on a plane as soon as this is over because it was the the last performance of that run. And that was it. But I've always thought if they hadn't had that mix up about where they were meeting, like who knows what might have happened. Richard Dreyfus could have been my my new stepdad. That's true. This would be a much better interview because he would have been with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be right here behind me. Wait, so 
Did you see Death and the Maiden as well? I did. I was 12. I don't really think I understood the like political context of it. Right. But I did. I did see it. And uh, I remember thinking it was OK. All right. So this is the scene where really we're getting Terry Gar back into the picture after after quite an absence. And before she enters, the, the, the conversation that's going on at the table, I find very amusing, which is where Vicky orders a round of banana daiquiris. And then Trotter mentions, hey, there's a banana king in the next race. Yep. This does not sound like the best way to, to pick the next horse on your magic day. <laughs> well, I do get the sense that, you know, when he goes to the jockey club, he sort of gets out of his rhythm a little bit, right? Like he's almost going to go bet Lord Byron in the previous scene and it almost falls apart for him. I feel like he gets so sort of obsessed with impressing these people, fitting in with these people, that he sort of forgets what got him there in the first place. You know, I think it's notable that, it, it, you know, one of the horses he picks, it's just by like, you know, he goes out and talks to people in the street and does the opposite of what they think. But it's pretty clear that asking other people is not the way to figure this out. So when Banana King is mentioned, I think it's really clear he's not going to go with Banana King. This is just sort of like how conversation is made. Somebody says something, it, it has something in common with one of the names of the horses. You all talk about it, you giggle about it, maybe you go place a little bet. But I think we know Trotter's not going to be making his decisions based on a comment by Vicky. <laughs> well, things definitely are going to turn here. Pam enters the jockey club, she sits down and immediately is saying, where's the money? And I, I also love that she gives him the nickname of Mr. I Won't Gamble Anymore. <laughs> I love that too, because in the very first scene in the movie where they're laying out all of the things they promise not to do anymore. Yes. Like they, they break all of them in this in this scene or on this day. Absolutely. And one, and one of them obviously is he says he's not gonna gamble, he's not gonna worry about money, which I guess in a weird way he's not worrying about money by risk risking it all. <laughs> but she's certainly worrying about money and she said she wouldn't anymore. And she also says, I promise not to lose my temper in public anymore, which we certainly see her do. Uh, threatened to do and then actually do in this scene. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. She grabs his arm and bends it back and he says that he, he can't give her the money because there's purse snatchers all over this joint. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's he that's said with conviction. He really believes that. I mean that's that's why he's keeping in his shoes in the first place, right? Well, I mean he did just undergo a false arrest under up being the pickpocket Morgan. So, you know, yes. it's I'm sure there are purse snatchers all over that joint. It's such a tell. It's such a tell, though, that he keeps the money in his shoes because everybody else in the jockey club, yeah, you know, if they lose whatever they made that day, it's no big deal. But if he loses it, his life is over, and that's just like a it's like a scarlet letter that he wears every time he has to <laughs> pull one of those sweaty, dirty bills out of his shoe. I, how disgusting is it that that he keeps the money in his shoe? Completely I, disgusting. Uh, it reminds me. There's a curb your enthusiasm episode where Larry owes Marty Funkhauser money, or Marty owes Larry money, and they meet while he's jogging, and he tries to give it back to him from his shoe. Yes. And Larry will not take it because it's completely disgusting. Yes. Thank you, Larry, for saying what the waiter at the jockey club would not say. <laughs> That's exactly right. I remember that one. So they have a little bit of a conversation. Pam comes up with the great line as she's now sitting in the table with the jockey club with all these strangers, and she says, I don't see why you can't just 
watch the horses <laughs> run around the track and not bet at them. And it's such a sincere and almost sweet statement, but it's so unbelievably square. And it's the, yeah. the wrongest place that you could make this kind of a declaration. <laughs> You know, when I watched that scene, I was rewatching it and my wife was in the room who's not seen the movie. When she said that, my wife started nodding like, yep, yep, she's exactly right. Because my wife doesn't gamble and she's opposed she's opposed to horse racing on moral grounds. And, I, you know, I have two, actually, even though I love this movie. And but I think it shows like she's like the only person in the movie who exists outside of this ecosystem of the track. Right. Like even the police officers part of the ecosystem and the people who work there are part of the ecosystem, but she's a true outsider. And that one line really kind of gets it all across. Yeah. And how everyone laughs at her, like the reaction of, of everyone in the jockey club, you know, when she first shows up, I can always remember that maybe the first few times that I watched this movie, it was like, Oh, great. Look at this. But (laughs) Now when she comes in, I'm much more on her side. Like, I understand her point of view so much more and really kind of agree with her in in a lot of ways. Do you think that's because you're, like, older now and you understand, like, what a marriage is? When you're a kid, she just seems like a killjoy, right? That's right. But when now that I'm older and I'm married... She's 100% right about everything. I mean, I still want Trotter to remain and have a good time when I watch this movie. And I understand him living vicariously like, for the day as a rich person. But she is 100% right. He bailed on going home and having a sex date with her to try to restart their marriage on the right foot. He forgot that he even had the appointment in the first place. And then when she shows up, he tries to play the big shot in front of his new friends. And I have no issue with her reaction whatsoever. And in fact, I was thinking about it this morning. You know, Richard Dreyfuss and Terry Garr obviously played husband and wife once before, right? In Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. I should rewatch it. But when I think of Terry Garr in that movie, I just think of her as being like a completely helpless wife. As he's doing crazy things around the house, her shouting, Roy, Roy, what are you doing? What are you doing? Right. And having no agency really whatsoever until she she leaves with the kids. But it's sort of like a nice catharsis to see her like completely take charge in this scene and say no to his bullshit and humiliate him and his craziness in front of like a crowded room of people. Like I kind of I kind of wish her character would have done that in Close Encounters. And here we get to see her actually. Wow, you know what? I you are the first person to to mention it that way. I've not heard anybody bring that up before. I love that. That's great. It does sort of, I guess, sort of flip things a little bit. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, because she doesn't. She doesn't. It's not in this movie very much. You know, no, but she's I feel not. like that shared history sort of like does a lot of the the work that we need to like really yeah. get the most out of a moment like this. Yeah, yeah. So this is where she starts threatening. To, all right, listen, you're going to give me the money or. I'm going to cause a scene. <laughs> and so and she, she makes a reference to some other time at some, like his, his mother's house his and a mother plate glass window. Immediately, whatever the memory is, causes him to like pop up. Okay, I'm going to the men's room. They have this little thing, and he does a great little. The, the movie is full of the Dreyfus freakouts. This one where he just yes. shouts, You don't want me to make a scene in the jockey club? Now. So. Wait, first of all, yes. the, the look on his the look on his face when she mentions the word 
scene. And the way she delivers, yes. I'm, you don't want me to make, I'm going to make a scene, tells me the history of her making scenes. And her mentioning it in the first scene, I promise not to lose my temper in public. Like there is a long history between these two people of him acting like an ass and her having no compunction about losing it on him in yes. public. And it's just really incredible acting between the two of them, just in that one exchange. The way she says, if you don't give me the money, I'm going to make a scene. And the way his face drops when she says that, <laughs> it communicates so much history. It really just does. One, one little moment. Yeah, yeah. This is not the first time either of them have been in this situation. They're both sort of escalating their moods, their temper, their, their scene level as this yep. is playing out. So and can you imagine if you ever if you've ever said something to your wife like because there is no racing without betting. If you said something like that to your wife in that tone of voice in public, oh my god. The, the hell the hell a man would catch when they got home. Oh yeah. I mean, he deserves everything he gets from that moment on. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is true. His response to that line <laughs> there is it's such a smarmy superior way of saying it and Oh, yeah, it is pretty awful to to say that in public to your yeah. wife, to someone He's you're choosing sides. to. Yeah. He is choosing sides. He's saying, I'm with these people. I'm not with you. That's and right. She's she's not going to tolerate that. And the freak out that he has, I love, I'm so glad you brought it up because it's, it's the button on the scene, obviously. But, you know, this was the era of the Richard Dreyfus freak out. When I think of him doing freak outs, I yeah. really think of this movie and what about Bob, you know, oh. which came a couple years later. And this was sort of like a, this little freak out was like a, a, a trial balloon for what about Bob? He does it like the whole movie and what about Bob? And here he just does it once or twice, but he's so damn good at it. It feels so genuine and so yes. funny and such a, a real genuine explosion of frustration. There was nobody better. at that. All right. So he's going to have to go to the bathroom to take off his shoes. That's why I can't do it here. I have to go to the bathroom to take off my shoes to take the money out. What kind of an excuse is this, Noah? How believable of this is, is this excuse of going to the bathroom to remove your shoes? You can't do it here? That's an excellent point. He's already pulled dirty, stinky money out of his shoe. We've seen him do it in the jockey club yes. once before. Yes. She says, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. And she's 100% right. Yes, because we know, as soon as he leaves, he's going to go run off and bet. Like, like yeah. you know, she's proven right in the immediate next scene. You're right. She should have followed him. Like, I, why does she want to stay and hang out in the jockey club anyway with, the uh, you know, Greenberg and, and Vicky? I, I, that's a, maybe a little bit of a plot hole that she didn't follow him out the door. Yeah, that's true. And then and she mm -hmm. decides to go and sit back down at the end. And she says, I'm terribly sorry. What is the conversation at that table like <laughs> at, uh, while he's going and betting? How's that going for her? Yeah, like her and Vicky did not hit it hit it off. You know, <laughs> like they're not they're not gonna get along. She calls her an airhead in this scene. Yeah, but but Vicky's boyfriend, he, he was very impressed by her handling of Trotter. Like when when she grabs him and bends his arm. There's a great reaction shot of Greenberg <laughs> where he's like, wow, look at this broad, you know? So they might have a little something to talk about. 
Well, that's true, and, and I'm pretty sure Greenberg does not like Trotter at all. So he just, that's right. Just glad to see, oh, someone's <laughs> coming to make this guy. This guy <laughs> doesn't belong here, and now look. Okay, great. So good. So glad that he, this is happening. He, prob- he probably buys her a drink. That's the next thing that happens uh-huh. as soon as she sits down. I like that. All right, so I, I actually forgot to do this at the beginning because we were talking about your driver story, but since this is your first time doing this, can you please explain to me, Noah, if you can recall the first time you saw Let It Ride and what your initial reaction to it was and how has that changed over time? You know, it's weird because I do recall the first time I saw it and I don't really remember those things too often, but I must have been, I must have been nine years old and I was living in Golden's Bridge, New York, and I went to the Mount Kisco movie theater with a friend and my friend's father. I'm going to say it was my friend Ben Sherry, but I don't, I could be wrong about that. But I remember us in the lobby and his dad was trying to decide whether to take us to Let It Ride or a movie called Leviathan, which was, <laughs> a, I think it was like an underwater, like a mon- underwater monster movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's alien underwater and it's terrible. Okay. Okay. I didn't want to see Leviathan. I wanted to see Let It Ride, but I was shy. I didn't want to like be the one to decide which movie we saw. So I was secretly like fingers crossed, hoping for Let It Ride, and that is what we ended up seeing. Now I don't remember too much what I thought of it at the time, but the fact that I remembered that experience means I probably liked it. And I do remember then that it had. I must have rented it on VHS when it came out because that's what I did with every movie that I saw in the theater that I liked. And I also remember it having a pretty good run on either HBO or TBS at some point in the late 90s. And I watched it a lot during that period. And I always liked it, partially because of the Richard Dreyfuss thing, because my mom had a crush on him because of this experience. Like I always felt like a connection to him. But I also know that I like movies about found or chosen communities like this. Mm. Movies where there's a bunch of people who are sort of thrown together. They're like family. They get along. They fight. They're friends. They love each other. Um, It probably has something to do with growing up like, you know, a broken home or something. But I always gravitate to those kinds of movies, workplace sitcoms, that, that sort of thing. And that's really what I love about Let It Ride. I love the portrayal of this ecosystem of people. And as I mentioned before, you've got the high rollers, you've got the dirtbag gamblers, you've got the cops, you've got the woman who flips burgers, you've got Robbie Coltrane, the, the guy who takes the bets, the trainers, the horses, the bar across the street. I just love how rich and filled in this world feels. And I, I mean, I re- we talk about world building in movies all the time when, mm-hmm. when we're talking about, you know, Marvel movies. But this to me is the kind of world building I really like, where you are thrown into a world you, I would never have known. I'd never been to a, a racetrack. I've still never been to a racetrack. But it feels so completely real and genuine. And they have this tone of sort of gritty, but also cartoonish and broad at the same time that I really like. And, you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you, you've dedicated a lot of time to this movie, but I just think it's really, really special and and the craft and care that went into making it is is underappreciated oh, it's beautiful oh my goodness that was 
<laughs> that was perfect. Actually, you know, your experience, or I should say your kind of relationship with it and appreciation of it is very similar to mine. I talk to a lot of people who are, are gamblers. They're people who hang out at the track, track people, and I'm not really one of those. I've been to the track a few times, and I feel like an alien there. I don't feel like I belong when I go, but... Just like you, I, I look at these people and I'm just kind of fascinated by them. It's it's more of just, I don't know, I don't want to say like human zoo watching in a way, but it is it is a little bit of that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for the gamblers themselves, it is, I mean, I try not to be judgmental, but there is something so degenerate about the lifestyle that Trotter and his friends are leading. It is like they have abandoned all sense of propriety, all sense of responsibility. And there's something liberating about like watching that and living vicariously through that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you kind of wonder a little bit about the home lives of a lot of these characters. And yeah, they can't be very good, right? No. Like, no I one's mean, in a nice apartment, right? I mean, they, they will, many of them will be homeless probably at some point in their lives, if not like directly after the movie ends, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> like Looney is he's selling blood his blood just to stay stay in the game you know i mean these are not great people who are making good use of their lives but it's the magic of the movie that i love watching them and i want to hang out with them too which is in insane <laughs> that is the thing i want to hang out with them also i want to hang out in the bar that's true definitely yeah yeah all right so why have you not shown this movie to your wife Okay, so I think my wife would be okay with it, actually. Okay. But as I said, she, she is morally opposed to horse race. We're, we're both vegan, and like we care deeply about animals and animal rights. And I, I think horse racing, I'm morally opposed to it as well for myself. But that doesn't get in, my, in the way of me enjoying the movie. In a way, the horse racing is, is as we're talking about, it's like incidental. It could be anything. It's about these people and about this world and... You know, if I watch a movie like, I don't know, like Seabiscuit or something, maybe it would be more of a problem for me. But in this movie, like, you know, it could be any sport that you bet on. It's just that the world of horse racing offers the most colorful cast of characters. And that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a movie like Seabiscuit, you know, that's about a jockey and a horse. And this is about the people uh, who, are, yes. who are going. It, you know, it's an entirely different kind of movie kind of experience right it's you know a hundred percent a hundred percent i mean there are some nice shots of the horse racing and, and running and everything and but yeah it could be anything and if you want to like stretch a little bit i mean this shows the seedy underbelly of the horse racing world so if you are opposed to horse racing you could make a case for the movie as well that's right because you know some of these races are, are clearly fixed Right. Absolutely. We know that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe there's, there's a version you could go and, and substitute highlight players in there and it, it would feel better for yourself. I was thinking about that today, that that's probably what it would be if they remade this movie today. Because, because, you know, you can't really make a horse racing movie anymore. That that HBO show Luck about horse racing got canceled because of animal cruelty allegations. I think it would be very difficult to do in this day. Oh, yeah. Th those horses died, as I recall, when the, when they were making luck. Yeah, that's right. They, they did. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess not. They don't even run horses at Hylia Park where, you know, they 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 filmed this anymore. It was there actually not that long ago. It's it's just sort of it's just sort of depressing. Actually, it's just an empty track. You know, it's really? they don't do they don't do anything there. The, it's now a casino. So the grandstand mm. is now a casino, but you can still walk out. The track is there. The flamingos are still in the middle of the track, 
But, you know, no one's taking care of it. If you look at the stands, they're sort of crumbling. It's, it's really odd and depressing to be there. Well, they need they need to embrace the history of Let It Ride, I think. You know, maybe you could do the last podcast. You could do like a live podcast there on the set or something. Oh, it's not a bad idea. Maybe I could I could we could somehow work it into turn Hylia Park into a Let It Ride museum. <laughs> that two people would go to. That's right. <laughs> I just want to say thank you for doing this because, you know, this is one of those movies that I always thought I was the only person who loved, you know? And when you get on the internet and you get on Twitter, whatever movie it is, you can find there's a couple other people who love it. But to see that there's somebody who cares about it this much, I really am happy. I'm happy about that. And it makes me feel a little bit, a little bit of the sense of community that I feel when I, when I watch the movie, like here we are a couple of dirtbags talking about a movie about (laughs) dirtbags. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Jockey Club. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dan Delgado. Thank you to my guest, Noah Gattel. Our theme music is from Epidemic Sound. Our cover art is by Sean Labrie. If you enjoyed this episode, and really, I really hope that you did, then you can help the show out by buying me a coffee. That is a thing. There's a link in the show notes on how to do it. But on the off chance that you are just saving up all of your shekels to blow it all at the track this weekend well i certainly understand you can still support the show by leaving a five-star review on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you may be listening to this if you want to contact me you are more than welcome to do so my email is dan at moviemaker.com i am always on twitter at underscore dan underscore delgado or even better you can always find me on the repod app which is a great way to not only to listen to podcasts, but to interact with podcast hosts. Find it in the App Store and come on by and say hello. This has been Dan Delgado for The Jockey Club. And remember, sometimes you could be walking around lucky and not even know it.